0: Uh, Look at the cover of your outline, the hallmark distinction upon the church, the body of Christ in the earth, has always been the distinct manifestation of the power and presence of God through the Holy Spirit in his people. What makes the church the church is God's power manifest amongst his people. It's not our buildings, it's not our programs, it's nothing else. And, and today, people look at church and they're program-minded. And so we come there for the program, we come there for, it. I love the music. We are, we are so blessed with so many amazing musicians and artists in our church. We are just extremely blessed. But what the, what the minstrel does, the, the purpose of the minstrel and the music was to usher, Welcome home. All the way from Costa Rica. Good to have you home with it. God bless you guys. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. It, uh, but it is the minstrel ushers in the presence of God. It, it releases the prophetic flow or, or, or the, the living Word of God, and that's what is so powerful. God doesn't create musicians. He creates minstrels, and minstrels that play, and it releases that anointed flow, and it brings us and draws us into a deeper level of worship. Amen? And so our our, our, our music is not a program. It's an ushering in of the presence of God. But our distinction is not our programs. It's the power of God, His presence manifest in our midst. So it is the manifestation of the power and the presence of God through the Holy Spirit in his people. So the question that must be asked is this, has the passing of the centuries decreased his majesty and power and increased the status of man to such an extent that we should no longer expect to see the miraculous as a result of direct contact with God? I say the answer is no. I thank God. In fact, we had a conversation. We had our our, our, our monthly prayer gathering with our local pastors here, and we were talking about uh, uh, just some of the issues that have come up, and one of the things we were talking about was the legalization of marijuana in California, and that they got passed on the ballot measure and stuff. And uh, I said, you know, for, for all of our intelligent advancement, we just haven't gotten much smarter. Yeah. Amen. And uh, so... Uh, one, one pastor "That's well, how are we going to deal with this when people say, what do you think about it? I said, well, it, it used to be illegal and stupid. Now it's just stupid. Amen. <laughs> So it's a, you know, and, and that's gonna become an issue. Christians now are gonna have to decide what do I do with, in dealing with this and, and those type of things. I thought about driving up home this afternoon, because we have for our homeless people and our homeless shelter, we don't allow them to drink on campus. And so they're not gonna be, I don't care if it's legal or not, you're not gonna be allowed to smoke on campus and do, well, it's legal now. Yeah, well, so is alcohol. We'll let you drink here, we're not gonna let you smoke here, amen. So amen. you have to decide. But 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 if that area is we're just looking at things and what's going on, and, and and so we need the power of God. So for all of, our, for all of our advancements of man, we still haven't gotten to a place where we have, have no need of the miraculous power of God. Amen? So think about it. We are a people set apart for his presence. That's what we are. We are God's people, and we are set apart for his presence. We must desire and pursue his gifts and ministry to be active in our lives and in his church. In order for this to happen, though, we must be willing to engage the enemy and win the battle against the Goliath of unbelief. I believe the Goliath that faces us is unbelief. In every one of our lives, there's this great challenge, and it always comes down to unbelief. The reason people don't operate in the gifts is because the seed of doubt and unbelief in their life. Something is causing us to move off of our faith and to pursue, and the only way to deal with the Goliath is to kill him. Amen. So whatever the root may be or the cause behind the crippling power of unbelief, we must rise up and engage it in spiritual warfare... Placing the pebble of our faith in the sling of courage and hurling it into the forehead of the Goliath that has intimidated us with fear. And that's the word that the Lord gave me this morning. Some of you and some of us in this building tonight, that's literally where you are. You have a hunger for God. You're pressing into God. But there's a voice that that keeps coming up against you. It's a challenge. And and that's what Goliath came out with, with a challenge, a defiant challenge. And there's somewhere where you have to reach down and grab your pebble of faith, put it in your sling of courage, and fling that thing into the head of the giant, and kill the Goliath of unbelief, amen, Amen. and Lord gave me that statement this morning, so this whole thing is his fault, praise the Lord, and so then we do, we knock him to the ground, but how many know it's not just enough to knock him to the ground, David said, I'm not, the stone is just to knock you down, then I'm going to cut your head off. Amen. So you have to completely eliminate him. So go with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17. And uh, we're just going to read through this in verse 1. We're going to highlight a few points out of here. And then we'll come back to some other points in our outline. Now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle. And were gathered together at Sokah, which belongs to Judah. And they camped between Sokah and the Esca and the Ephesus, uh, Damanim. And so you can say Damanim, it's in the Bible. Amen. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together, and they encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on a mountain on one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side in the valley between them. And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose weight was whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet, about nine feet tall, and on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze, that's heavy, amen, and he had a bronze uh, greaves on his legs, and bronze javelin between his sh- uh, shoulders, and his, now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels, and a shield bearer went before him with the cart and three mules, probably, amen, to carry all that stuff. Then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then he will be your servant. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. I want you to listen to me just for a moment. We live in a day when there's so much fear and people are so dismayed by the circumstances they're surrounded. And there's this giant voice of intimidation that comes in. How many know that that he that's an intimidating presence? And, and, and it doesn't matter whether it is social issues. It doesn't matter whether it's economical issues. It doesn't matter whether it's health issues. Somewhere in there, it's a voice of intimidation that you're not going to win this battle. The challenge is greater than you. And so who rises up and, and to face that challenge and to kill that voice of unbelief and to take on that challenge? And what happens is here, and it's so true that Goliath is saying, Give me a man, and, and if that one can prevail for me, it'll mean victory for everybody else and that's what I want you to see when God uses you it's not just about him using you for you but when you say yes to the Holy Spirit and you allow the power of God to work through you you usher in victory for so many others than just yourself it isn't about you but it's God using you and raising you up to break the spirit and this lie of unbelief off of other people's life when Saul and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistine they were dismayed and greatly afraid now David was the son of that Ephrite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse, who had eight sons, and the man was old, advanced in years in the days of Saul. The three oldest sons of Jesse had gone to follow Saul to battle. The names of the three sons who went to battle were Eliab, the firstborn next to him, Abinadab, and the third, Shema. And David was the youngest, and the three oldest followed Saul. But David occasionally went. And returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And the Philistines drew near and, pre- and presented themselves forty days, morning and evening. Then Jesse said to his son David, Take now for your brothers an ephah of this dried grain and these ten loaves, and run to your brother's camp. And carry these ten cheeses to their captain of their, of their thousand, and see how your brothers fare, and bring back news of them. Now Saul... And they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah, fighting with the Philistines. So David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with the keeper, and took the things, and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the camp of the army, uh, as the army was going out to battle, and the shouting for the battle for the for Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array, army against army. And David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper, ran to the army, and came and greeted his brothers. Then as he talked with them, there was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistine. And he spoke according to the same words. so David heard them. Or for forty days, they'd all get out to battle, and then Goliath came out to challenge them, and then nobody would answer. Then they'd just kind of go back to kind of this whole charade going on, never engaging the battle. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him, and we're dreadfully afraid. And I'm telling you, we live in such an age when people are under dreadful fear. How many are listening to me? They're just dreadful fear. And then people keep shrinking back. They they rise up like they're gonna to go to battle, but we keep falling back and giving in to this intimidation. So the men of Israel. Said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter, and give his father's house exemption in Israel. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of God? And God's always looking for the one who refuses to be intimidated. Who does God use? We keep waiting for God to use the multitudes to bring people together. God is always just looking for one person who will refuse to be intimidated, who knows who they are in relationship with their God, and will rise up and do something about the situation. Amen? And the people answered him in this manner, saying, So shall it be done for the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And said, Why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? And sometimes it's not only just a voice uh, of, of the intimidator, but sometimes there's people even around you that should be encouraging you that are trying to find fault. Amen? And you have to rise up against that. There's always a voice that tries to talk you out of obeying God. Then he turned from him toward another and said the same thing, and these people answered him as the first one. And when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul, and he sent for him. Then David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Amen. And Saul said to David, you're not able to go up to this fight, Philistine, to fight with him. You're but a youth, and he is a man of war from his youth. How me know when God's on your side, it's not a fair fight. Amen. No matter how big it is, you always win when God's on your side. Amen. But David said to him, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it rose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and a bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said, man, go get them. Go and the Lord be with you. Amen. Now, let me just say that when it comes to serving God, there will always be people who will root for you from behind you. Amen. Amen. But it's amazing. Go ahead and choose to be the one that leads the way. Choose to rise up. Come on. If God could get every one of us to rise up with the spirit of David and refuse to be intimidated by the Goliath's voice of unbelief, it's amazing what will happen. You have no idea what your sphere of influence is. When you rise up and you begin to war against this intimidating voice of fear and unbelief and breaking the spirit of dismay, people will be liberated all around you. Praise the Lord. And so Saul clothed David with his armor and he put a bronze helmet on his head and he also clothed him with a coat of mail and David fastened his sword uh, to his armor and he tried to walk for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these for I have not tested them. So David took them off. What does that mean for us today? You don't have to walk in somebody else's anointing. You don't have to act like somebody else. You don't have to be able to pray like somebody else, preach like somebody else, prophesy like somebody else. You're anointed by God for the battle that he's given you there's a victory that you're going to win that God has already equipped you for and trained you for what David said all the victories that God has brought me through God's been faithful every step of my life and you and I when we go back and we remember the victory sometimes you need to go back and tell yourself the story one more time the story of how God's always showed up, how God's always been faithful. And remind yourself, wait a minute, I serve the God who is faithful, and He's going to show up this time as well. And something rises up on the inside of you, and you don't have to war in somebody else's armor because you're already fitted for the battle. Hallelujah. So then He took the staff in His hand and He chose for Himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in His neighbor's sheep, and in, in, in put them in His shepherd's bag. And in a pouch which he had, and his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. So the Philistine came and began to draw near to David. And the man who bore the shield went out before him with the cart and three mules. Amen. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy, and good-looking. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and a spear, and with the jet with the sword, with the spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of the host, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Amen? And you have to understand that fear and unbelief, the devil is still defying and speaking a voice of defiance against God's people. And what we have to understand, we have to win this battle against unbelief. We have to defeat this giant if we're going to see miracles and breakthroughs in our generation. Amen? And David said, This is the day. The Lord will deliver you into my hand. Now hear me, when you start to step out, as soon as you step out, that voice is going to get real intimidating. David steps up there, and Goliath said, what are you, you little ruddy thing? I'm going to feed you, and and that fear tries to come over you and to choke you down. And you have to purpose, no, God is on my side. I'm out here to win. Amen? And so David said, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Say, why, Pastor, why are you preaching? Because it's time for the earth to know that the God of Israel is the God of the church, and He is in the church today. Somebody ought to shout amen. But it's only going to happen when the Davids rise up and defeat the Goliath. Praise the Lord. Then all, the, all of this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's. He will give you into our hand. And that's what we're talking about the Holy Spirit. It's so easy. We have gotten too reliant upon natural resources. And because of our reliance upon natural resources, we won't see the power of God. Because we turn to the natural before we ever turn to the spirit. But we need to turn that around. Amen? So think about it. And it was... And then this all assembly shall know that there is the, that the Lord doesn't save with sword or spear, but the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. And it was so when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, that David hastened and ran towards the army to meet the Philistine. Then David put his hand in his bag, took out that stone of faith, put it in his sling of courage, and struck the Philistine in the forehead." So that the stone sank into his board and he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. Listen to me. We're prevailing with the word of the Lord and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It, see, it seems impossible against the uh, You don't go out against somebody arrayed in this kind of battle. You don't come up against this kind of opposition without having you know strength against strength. Oh, well, yes, you do. You go out in faith. Amen? And, and, and that's more than enough. Hallelujah. And he, then he ran and stood over him and took his sword and drew it out, at, at, drew it out of a sheep and killed him and cut off his head. And when the Philistines saw that the champion was dead, they fled. Amen. Amen. Come on, it's amazing what happens how the enemy flees when we just stand up by faith and kill the Goliath of accusation. Now watch this. Look at verse 52 though. Now the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the entrance of the valley and and, and to the gates of Ekron and so what David's victory stirred faith in the rest of the people and that's what happens when God gets one man one woman to rise up and defeat Goliath and just take their stone of faith it, it seems so intimidating at some time how can I just take that but God's given us this great sling of courage and we just yield that in the anointing of God and we kill that giant and people other people around it are inspired to run to the battle and the victory is taken on by everybody amen So look at your outline again. The Goliath of our day is a voice of unbelief. We hear it over and over. It comes to stifle our faith and cut us off promises of God. That's what's happening over and over. We just hear so much. We get the report uh, of sickness and disease, but God has given us. We have to stand back. The promise of God, it doesn't matter the report, but the voice of unbelief is so strong. And we have to raise up and rise up in our faith and in our our courage in God and kill this voice of unbelief. Your adversary mind is always at work to intimidate us from being used by God. I I have this in, uh, I I love uh, just older books and stuff. This is from 1947, and it's a book on what meaneth this. It's really about the Holy Spirit, but it goes back, and and this one chapter is about um, talking about the exclusive possession of the, the power of the Holy Spirit being in the age of the apostles. That, that it was exclusive to that age, and it's not included in our age. But it, it gives the, the real reason here. This one point is the real reason for the retrogression or, 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 or the loss of miracles in our generation. One person says this, The mighty works of the Lord Jesus flowed out of a heart, moved with compassion for the hungry multitude for the loathsome leper, for the deaf, the dumb, the blind, and the lame. And this compassion was one of the prime factors in his continued miracles throughout the early church. When the compassion of God, when God opens our heart, when the Holy Spirit opens our heart up and we begin to see society around us and we become moved with compassion for their need it releases an anointing and provision to do something about it the miracle power of God begins to flow through our life when we have a heart that has the heart that Christ had for what he saw in the needs of the people do you understand that compassion releases power but it was said here, why did the signs and wonders begin to disappear from the church after the first century? Why have miracles been so rare in history of the church? Not because the Lord decreed their withdrawal, as so many assert, for he is unrevoked, unqualified promises. For his unrevoked, unqualified promise is that these signs shall follow them that believe. We must change the direction of our search from the God who made the promise to the ones to whom the promise was made. It's not the problem is not with the promise. The problem is with the people who the promise was made to. Amen. So think about it. Why has not the church constantly cast out devils, spoke with new tongues, taken up serpents without harm? Accidentally, of course. Been preserved from the evil effects of deadly poison. Inadvertently taken or administered by the enemy. Laid hands on the sick for their recovery. The answer is because of unbelief. Bengal declares the reason why many miracles are not wrought is not so much because faith is is established, but because unbelief reigns. Wow. Christlib says this. It is the want of faith in our age which is the greatest hindrance to the strongest and more marked appearance of that miraculous power, which is working here and there in quiet concealment. Unbelief is the final and most important reason for the retrogression of miracle. And unbelief comes because we have bowed down to the voice of Goliath. Instead of rising up. And so we see the church keeps cowering back. We keep cowering back. And we just try to figure out in natural strength how we're going to win this battle. You're not going to win it in natural strength. David did not kill Goliath in natural strength. God's victory for his people, his deliverance for his people has never come through natural strength. God led out the nation of Israel by miraculous power. The way he works amongst his people, the hallmark of being the church is the miraculous power of God infused in our life. It's not, again, program or our institutions or our building. All that can work. Come on, we just get bigger buildings so we can have more people to see miracles in. Amen. Amen. For whatever that reason is, but we need to be seeking that. Listen to what John Wesley said. Wesley said this in the 1700s. Wesley lays blame squarely on the church telling us that the sign gifts decreased. Because the love of many, almost all Christians, uh, almost all Christians, so-called, he said, wax cold. That was the real reason why the extraordinary gifts of the Holy Ghost were no longer to be found in the Christian church. Wow. Come on, those guys were straight. Amen. D.M. Patton writes, Sapped in faith, in holiness, in aloofness from the world, the church relaxed its grasp on the gifts which as manifestations of the Spirit, invited persecution. So they relied less on the Spirit, as it leaned more on the state. It abandoned the powers of faith as it fell back to justification by works until the divine and marvelous glory of the first splendid powers of faith was replaced by scarlet robes and crosses and censers of gold, and over the portal of God's spiritual temple was inscribed Ichabod. I said, man, I've never preached that hard. (laughs) So, there's so many other areas in here. The true reason why the gifts of the Spirit ceased in the church is the exaltation of natural methods of teaching above above or into carpentry with the teaching of the holy ghost The meanness of our idea and the weakness of our faith concerning the oneness of Christ glorified with his church on earth. The unworthiness of our doctrine concerning the person and the office of the Holy Ghost to knit up the believer into complete oneness with Christ. Every thread and filament of our mortal humanity with his humanity immortal and glorious to bring down into the church a complete Christ and keep him there ever filling her bosom and working in her And working in her members. The shortcoming of our knowledge in respect to the gifts of themselves or having ceased to lament their absence or to pray for their return. Our want of fasting and humiliation and crying unto the Lord. Our contentment, listen to this, to be without them. Wow. Our base and false theories to account their absence without taking guilt to ourselves. Wow. I read that and said, oh God. If I'm going to pastor a church, I'm going to stir this thing up. Amen? Come on. Let's do it. I, I read that. And when think about it, that's all it's there. Because, look it. Go, go, go back to the cover of your outline. Watch this. Watch this. Has the passing of centuries decreased His majesty and power and increased the status of man to such an extent that we should no longer expect to see the miraculous as a result of direct contact with God? We need to have an expectation for the miraculous power of God. We need to believe what it says when we come together, we assemble together and we create this dwelling place for God where God manifests Himself by His Spirit. And when God shows up, miracle provision and power is in the midst of his church. Amen. We need to come to church every week and then we walk out through the streets, believe that God's gonna work in us and gonna work through us. Somebody ought to say amen. So watch it. Go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4. But what is the onus that is upon us? What is the responsibility that is upon us? The reality is when we're saved, the life of the Holy Spirit comes in us. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is in us. But we have to live by that. We have to be givers of that. It flows out of us. And so we have to live, as I said Sunday morning, live to give all this away. So we must purpose to stir up the gifts that are within them, not neglecting them. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 14, Paul writes to Timothy, says, Do not neglect the gift that is in you. Amen. Don't neglect the gift that is in you. Paul said, I, I lay hands on you, I pray for you, there's an impartation of God. And when you receive that, we've done that, we've prayed over people here, but now that it's there, I, I can't neglect it, I have to become inward mind. I have to be willing to stir something up. Amen? And it's going to set you apart. But a lot of times what happens to people, and I hear it all the time, is just what we read. The Holy Spirit comes, and it makes people uncomfortable. And it does say, and people don't want to have to explain what the Holy Spirit does. We have people ask all the time, how come when you pray for people, people fall down in your church? What's up with that? So you got to explain that. How come that person was weeping over there? How come this person was doing this over there? And so people go, man, that's too much explaining to do. Amen. I'd rather explain God showing up than explain why He doesn't show up. Amen. Amen? I'm just saying, praise the Lord. And when it's God, I always find when it's God, when God shows up, people may understand it, but they cannot deny it. Are you with me? They cannot deny it, praise the Lord. And it's usually, I, I don't want to get way off of that, but it's usually religious people that don't like it when the Holy Spirit shows up. Not the unbelievers, the religious people. So don't neglect the gift that is in you which was given you by prophecy with the laying on the hands of the presbytery. Paul saying, come on, Timothy, remember what you're here for. Don't get caught up in the wrong stuff. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1. Look at this, verse 6. Therefore, I remind you, stir up. Everybody say, stir up. Stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear. Don't listen to the voice of Goliath in your life. Every one of us has a different Goliath. Every one of us has a different giant and a different voice of intimidation. What intimidates you may not intimidate me. But what intimidates me may not intimidate you. So you have to kill your own Goliath. You're going to have to cast down that own voice, your own voice of unbelief. But the challenge of today is we've gotten so advanced. We're just leaning on stuff and, and just falling back on stuff. Amen. I, I guarantee you, it won't be long. There'll be Christians smoking dope just because it's legal. Oh, Amen. Smoke. Well, you know, I just use that. It makes me, whatever. Go ahead. Glory to God. Amen. You'd be so stoned, you won't know the rapture happened. Hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. I couldn't see him through the smoke, glory to God. <laughs> Hallelujah. I was nodding off when the trumpet blew, glory to God. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and of love and of a sound mind. Because I mean, really, it was amazing. We had eight pastors today, and they were talking, how are we going to approach this subject in our church? I said, I don't know, I'm just kind of simple. And that's what I told him. I said, no, it used to be stupid and illegal. Now it's just stupid. Yep. Amen? And so really, here, here's the key in all these things. Why would you want to go back to what you were delivered from? Yeah. We're living in an age where we no longer have to live free from what we were delivered from. I, I got delivered from drinking. I, I got delivered from drugs. I, I got delivered from outside influence in my life. I want to be influenced by the Holy Spirit. I want to be under his control, not under counterfeit control. Amen? Amen. It was amazing. Let me just tell this story. It was amazing because when we had a Christian school, how many know not just Christians go to Christian school? And how many know just because your kids are raised in a Christian home doesn't mean your kids are saved yet? (laughs) Christian kids still do crazy stuff. Amen. Amen. And so uh, as a principal of the Christian school, we had all kinds of stuff, and we just confiscate drugs, we confiscate things. So we had an issue one day here at the church going through stuff, and the sheriff in my office used to be up there, and the sheriff came in. So while we're talking over this one issue, I opened my drawer and I pulled it out, and I had two little bags of pot in there and a little pipe and stuff. I said, you might as well take this while you're here. Amen. But back in the early days, I was convinced years ago, I, I mean, I, when it comes to smoking pot and stuff, that, that, was, my, that was my favorite. I, I was convinced that I could actually almost be a Christian and live my life smoking dope. I was kind of in that stupid realm. Amen. I got delivered from my own stupid. Amen. So it was amazing to me that I could have that sitting in there for several years in my drawer and then just give it out and never face the temptation to go out and sneak around. How I many you know what I'm saying? And that. And so, but but I got delivered from that. So I don't want to go back to what I was delivered from. Today we need to remember live free from what you got delivered from. Amen? Hallelujah. All right, moving right along. I don't know why we got into that, but we did. Praise the Lord. So stir up the gifts that are the inside of you. Stir it up. And then next, we must desire and pursue spiritual gifts. So in order for this to happen, there has to be a pursuit on your part. Go with me to first Corinthians chapter 12. The Holy Spirit is there, but you're going to have to go after him. Everything God has comes through pursuit. You have to pursue it, guys. You have to go after it. We, if, if we're just going to agree, I, I agree, I'm ready, Lord, I'm ready. No, you have to go after it. You have to get in your prayer closet, and, 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 uh, and you just have to stir things up. You have to say, God, I, I want to flow. You have to desire it. You have to hunger for it. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And verse uh, uh, 31 says, but earnestly desire. The original translation says covet. And the word covet there means be jealous over, be moved within before. The only place the word of God tells us we can operate in covetousness is for the things of the spirit. Covet the things of the spirit. Be jealous to have them. Be envious. Oh, man. When you see somebody, when somebody's prophesying, you just go, oh, man, I want to do that. Amen? But be envious. Be desirous for. Pursue after that. Paul is right here. He says that. So be earnestly desire the best gifts. And yet I show you a more excellent way. And we know he goes into talking about the motivation of love and having love be the motivation. Not just having preeminence and not just be recognized for a gift. Somebody say amen. amen. Look at chapter 14 and verse 1. He says it again. Pursue love. Look at so. Pursue love and desire or covet spiritual gifts. But especially what? That you may prophesy. Okay? For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the spirit he speaks mystery. But he who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to who? Amen. To men. Remember it said Sunday morning, but living as a giver, desiring to give. And so every one of us, and, and the only time that it, the only time that you some people think, well, the only time I can prophesy is in church. No, you can have a prophetic word in a grocery store. God can use you anywhere. The Holy Spirit is not confined to a building or the 11 o'clock hour on Sunday morning. Right. Amen. He's not confined to a place, to a time. He is available all the time. In fact, He was primarily supposed to be in the streets with us. He's given to us to empower us for evangelism. The greatest thing that Jesus said when he called his disciples, he gave them power and he gave them authority. And he said, now go minister the power of the kingdom, people. And then after you touch them with power, tell them the kingdom has come to you. Go heal them. And then after they're healed, tell them about the kingdom. Wow. So let the power of God flow through you. And so Paul is saying here, but the key here is is that prophesying brings edification. Praying in the Spirit, when we're just praying in the Spirit and we're speaking to God, we're building up our faith. You get strong in your faith. So the first key to flowing in the gift is you're going to have to pray in tongues a lot. You have to pray in the Spirit. It's a gift of the Spirit. So you have to stir up your spirit. You have to be in the Spirit. You have to learn to hear the voice of God. And it's amazing when you pray in the Spirit. And then sometimes you'll quit praying. Then all of a sudden God will begin to speak into your understanding. There'll come a thought. There'll come impressions from God. And you begin to get almost like an interpretation. But the Holy Spirit is teaching you. And so, and so you stir that up by praying in the Holy Ghost. Say, God, I'm just stirring it up. You said stir it up. The only way I know how, I'm going to pray in time. I'm just going to stir this thing up. Amen. And when you get the fire hot enough, pretty soon sparks will fly out of you. Glory to God. Amen. It, it'll work. It'll work. And, and then take all the limitations off. Take all the limitations off. We think, well, I, I, I didn't know, you know, maybe I'll just start here, start there, do this or do that. And see, years ago, we found out that most people, especially when they start operating in the gift, it's easy to have faith to, have a, to, to operate in, a, in, a, in giving a message in tongues. Because you already pray in tongues. So it's easy just to start there. But then on the other side, I, I, I prefer to prophesy. Because if I give a message in tongues and none of you are tuned in, you leave me hanging out there looking like an idiot because I'm relying on you. It took more faith. It takes less faith for me to prophesy than it does to believe God somebody's going to interpret. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. So I just stir it up. Say, God, I just go for it. Amen. Hallelujah. Or if you're going to give, that's why Paul says, if you're going to give a message in tongue, pray that you can interpret. If nobody interprets, then you pray that you interpret because tongues and interpretation together form a prophetic word. Are you with me? But we, Paul says, you have to desire that. But then when we desire that, then, then, then we, we have to, there's that active engagement on our part. Go, go over to chapter 14 and look down at verse 39. So Paul ends his teaching on this whole area here. And just these areas said, therefore, covet or desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak with tongues. As we keep going on this, I'm going to do a whole lesson j- just on, uh, on, on the importance of praying in other tongues. And, and when you understand. How many know that James says the most unruly member in your body is your tongue? And one thing that praying in the Spirit does is it redeems your tongue. And you can pray the Holy Ghost praying. And always speaking per- perfect words. The, the language of the Spirit is perfect communication. Amen. There's times when you're just praying and in worship. I-, I can give. There's so many ways I want to worship God while well, worship. I want to tell God how much I appreciate. But it says that that they heard them speak the wonderful works of God. How many know the Holy Spirit knows how to praise God? The Spirit knows how to give God the glory that He is due out of our mouth. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. And this is my personal uh, belief on the area, especially in praying and talking. There are times when the Spirit of God just wants you to pray because words are how God accomplishes things in the earth. Words. Words are seeds on. God says, "I I I will accomplish my word that I send for. And there's times that God just needs you to be a voice of sowing His word into the earth and declaring it. He doesn't need you to know all about it. He just needs you to be obedient and sow those words. And just do it. There's times I'm praying, and 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 you may not know. There may be times that God needs you to pray, and you're praying for somebody in a need. We've had testimony. We've had missionaries come from overseas and give a testimony and say doing that, and then people say, "Man, God moved upon me to pray for you." And then the missionary comes, or they've contacted somebody later, and they they didn't even know what to do. They just got up and they prayed in the spirit, and they were literally praying and interceding on behalf of somebody who was going through a battle in another country at another time. It was a life endangering situation and God prevailed, it was breakthrough, it was intercession. Amen. Amen. But they never knew it, and unless that person come back in that connection, they'd have found out in heaven. Amen. But every now and then, God gives us that testimony. So just be willing to be used by God, and to think about that, that God redeems our voice. Amen. And our tongue. Hallelujah. So good stuff. Amen. So we have to desire and pursue spiritual gifts, and then we're to seek and desire to prophesy so that the body and the church may be edified. Look at chapter, or, or verse 5 there in 1 Corinthians 14. I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets. That the church, look at this, that the church may receive edification. Remember what I said about something about living to give? When we become moved, To bring edification to the body. When we move out of consumer mode in our church attendance. And we seek to edify the body. To be a giver. God, I want to be a flow. The greatest way, and that's why I said it Sunday morning, and and I think I said in first service in that, but when you begin to read your Bible and read the Word of God and say, Lord, give me something out of here to share with somebody else. Or when you hear something, you take that and you try to give it away. Every time God does something in your life, give it away in a testimony. Sow what you receive. Keep it afloat. As it comes in, give it out. As it comes in, give it out. As it comes in, give it out. When you start living like that and you just change, just that little paradigm uh, uh, shift in our life makes a huge difference are you with me amen so think about it we carry within or or, and, and then look over at verse 12 I meant to read it too even so you since you are zealous for spiritual gifts let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel Not yourself, but just that preferring, putting one another, a giving out. God, do something through me that edifies the church, that causes the church to be strengthened, to be built up, to be comforted, to be encouraged. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So when we carry within us the heart of God, it causes us to be moved with compassion towards the needs of those around us. Whether it is spiritual, physical, emotional, or provisional, the heart of God will move our heart with compassion towards that need. And when his heart is moving in us with compassion, when we respond to that, that's what releases the resource of heaven through our lives in the greatest way. Look with me. Let's walk through thee. Go to Matthew chapter 9. Are you doing okay? Yes. Matthew chapter 9. Watch this. And verse 35, Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their city, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and watch, healing every sickness and every disease amongst the people. Now, guys, listen. Let let, let me, let me just touch on this. The only reason we don't see more healings is because of unbelief. It's not because the power and authority hasn't been given to us. Amen. And so there's that place. That's that Goliath. So we get all these. Well, I know somebody got prayed for and didn't get healed. We'll just throw a stone in the face of that Goliath. Amen. E- anything that becomes a voice of doubt, I don't care about that. I wasn't there. I'm not accountable for that. I'm not in that. How many know what I'm saying? I'm not, I'm not going to let somebody experience, somebody else's experience. My faith isn't based upon experience, it's based upon His Word. Do you understand that? Faith cannot be built upon experience. It has to be founded on the Word of God. Either this is true or experience is true. And because there's not enough people, just because we don't see any people experiencing this, it doesn't mean this doesn't work. That's the way people have measured it. Well, I don't know anybody who ever got healed. Healing can't be for today. I've seen somebody get healed. Well, hey Amen. I, that's what I tell people. I, I, had third, I, I give testimonies to that. We all have a testimony. God's touched us, done different things. God grew new skin on my arms and stuff. So we, we have all that. Hey. But when people say, because you haven't seen it, so we walk by faith, not by? Sorry. Amen. All right. So watch this. Matthew chapter 9. So Jesus is healing every sickness and disease. And he gave us power over all, the power of the enemy to cure all sickness, all disease. These signs will follow them that believe. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. Amen. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with what? Compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. So he said to his disciples, see, the shepherd does exactly what David did. He rose up in defense. Israel was like a nation of sheep without a shepherd. So David rose up as the shepherd. He protected the sheep from the lion and the bear, and he protected Israel from Goliath. Amen. He killed what was trying to devour. Amen. So the harvest is truly plentiful, but the labors are what? So that's where you and I come in. We have to purpose to be moved with compassion. And when we're moved with compassion, we'll find ourselves thrust into the harvest field by the compassion of God that's working in our heart. Amen. Now watch this. Matthew chapter 14. Look at verse 14. Jesus ministering to the people. There he is. He's teaching. People are following him. He's teaching them and all that stuff. Then all of a sudden, he looks around and he says to his disciples, In verse 14, he looks at him and he says, uh, And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude. He was moved with compassion for them, and he healed their sick. And when it was evening, his disciples came to him, saying, This is the deserted place, and the hour is already late. Send the multitudes away, that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. And Jesus said, They don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. And that's what I'm trying to tell you. The Holy Spirit will always equip us to minister to people and to be able to meet the need. When Jesus fed the multitude, he showed them when you're moved with the heart of God and moved with compassion, it releases the resource of heaven. And that's when God takes your not enough and multiplies it into more than enough. Amen? Praise the Lord. Look at John or Matthew chapter 15 and verse 32. It happens again in just a few days. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And I do not want to send them away hungry lest they faint on this way. And the disciples said, where can we get enough bread? Dude, we just did this a couple of days ago. <laughs> in the wilderness to feed such a great uh, many. Jesus said, how many loaves do you have? He said seven. He said, okay, here we go again. So we finally get it. Amen? All right. And then look at Matthew chapter 20. Are you doing okay? Look at Matthew chapter 20 and verse 34. The, the, the two blind men come to Jesus. In verse 33, they said, Lord, they said to him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So then Jesus had what? Compassion and touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight and they followed him. See, there'll be, the, not every account. Now, let me just say this when, when we walk in power, not every account of people who get healed or experience the power of God or that you minister to follow Jesus. But every now and then, some do. Amen. So keep your eyes on the some and don't worry about the others. Amen. Praise the Lord. Go with me to Mark chapter 1. Watch this, just, just a couple more. Mark chapter 1. I We're just talking about the compassion of the Lord and how that gets in our heart. How many, how many know we have the mind of Christ? Amen. Paul said we have the mind. How many know that means we should also have the heart of Christ? Amen. Amen. Mark chapter 1 and verse 41. And it says, verse 40, Then a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down and saying to him, If you are willing, you can make me whole. And Jesus moved with compassion, put out his hand and touched him and said to him, I'm willing be clean. I'm asked to ask the worship team to come back as we read these last two scriptures. Luke chapter 7. Go to Luke chapter 7. This is powerful. Verse 11. Now it happened the day after that he went into a city called Nain. And many of his disciples went with him in a large crowd. And When he came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a large crowd from the city was with her. When the Lord saw her, he had what? Compassion on her, and said to her, do not weep. Then he came and touched the open coffin, and those who carried him stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And he said, and he who was dead sat up and began to speak. And he presented him to his mother. Then fear came upon all, and they glorified God, saying, a great prophet has arisen amongst us. And look at this. And what? And what? God has visited his people. How many know that God wants to visit his people? but you know what it takes it takes people just like you and I on our individual stance saying God I'm going to rise up like David against the Goliath in my life whatever that voice is whatever that intimidation is I'm going to rise up against it I'm going to put my faith in the sling of my courage and I'm going to fling it right at the forehead of that giant I'm going to kill this thing once and for all that voice that keeps discouraging me, talking me out of what God has in my life. I'm going to kill this thing. And I'm going to rise up. I'm going to believe God. I'm, I'm going to pray in the spirit. I'm going to stir this thing up. I'm going to see the life of God flow through my life. Because God wants to visit his people. And hear me, guy. You know how God visits his people? Through you. We're his choice. We're God's choice on how He's going to move in the earth and what He's going to do. He's just chosen to use us. Hallelujah. And any generation, every place. And, and it never takes a lot of people. It just takes whosoever will. Just say yes to God to rise up and desire to be used by Him. Chris was saying, come on, church is supposed to be more than just coming in here in a nice mess and going home. Oh, it's good. Glory to God. And then go on and then tomorrow get up and face our problems with no strength and be intimidated by the situations of our day. I don't think so. I think it's time to kill some Goliaths. Amen? Come on, stand with me tonight.